0: Well, can I thank the Reverend Brown for the words of welcome. It is a pleasure to be with you here again and to be able to share with you a fresh update on the work of the TBS. But before we come to the update, I'd like to turn to God's Word, and we're turning to Psalm 12 tonight. Psalm 12, and we'll read the whole psalm together. To the chief musician upon Shimoneth, a psalm of David. Help, Lord. For the godly man ceaseth, for the faithful feel from among the children of men. They speak vanity, every one with his neighbour, with flattering lips and with a double heart do they speak. The Lord shall cut off all flattering lips, and the tongue that speaketh proud things. Who have said, With our tongue will we prevail? Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? For the oppression of the poor, for the sign of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety from him that puffeth at him. The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. The wicked walk on every side, when the vilest men are exalted. Amen. It's the words of verse 6 I'd like to leave with you tonight. The psalmist David says, The words of the Lord are pure words. One of the great problems in the world today, and in fact one of the great problems in Christianity today, is how everything has become so man-centered and man-focused. Everything centers upon the happiness of man and his happiness throughout the rest of his days here on earth. And with all the focus being on men, especially in Christianity, there is something that is lost. And it's the very person of God, who he is and what he is like. And the Bible has much to teach us about God. And it describes his attributes. We don't have time to look at them all here tonight, but one of the attributes of God is his holiness. The Bible makes clear that our God is a holy God. He is holy with every thought that he thinks, every word that he says, and every deed that he does. And he is not only holy in himself, he is holy in his interactions with men. We can think of many examples, but one in particular, whenever Moses came to the burning bush, he was told to take the shoes from off uh, his feet because the ground he was standing on was holy ground. There wasn't anything holy about the dust of the earth that Moses was standing on but it was being in the presence of a holy God that made it a holy occasion but God is also holy in his communications with men we're not always holy in our communications sometimes our communications can be very unholy we can um, we can tell lies we can gossip we can uh, give false impressions our communications are not always holy communications but god is holy in his communications with men and he communicates to us through the holy scriptures as paul wrote to the romans he didn't just refer to scripture he called it holy scripture as he wrote to timothy he said from a child thou hast known the holy scripture because this book, dear friend, is set apart from every other book in the world. It is described as a holy book. It is a pure book. It is a perfect book because of where it comes from. It comes from God, who is holy and perfect and pure. Now, sadly, the world today, they don't agree with us that this is a holy book. They mock the Bible. They deride the Bible. They trample it under feet. They say it's a book of make-believe stories. They, uh, they would have it on the bookshelf standing along any other uh, work of fiction because that's what they believe it is. But how does God view his word? Well, in Psalm 138 verse 2, the psalmist says, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name, So we can think of all the names of God and how they reveal aspects of his glory. We can think of God's work of creation and providence. And the psalmist says, thou hast magnified thy word above all these things. So God does not belittle his word. He does not minimize it. He does not relegate it uh, to the lowest possible position. In fact, God does the complete opposite. He magnifies his word. He promotes it. He exalts it. He glorifies it. So, dear friend, God has no low view of Scripture. He has the highest possible view of His Word. And so should we. We should not compromise on the holiness and the purity of this book in light of criticism from the ungodly, in light of criticism from within the church as well. This is a holy book. From a holy God, so I'd like to speak tonight on the subject of the purity of Scripture. Four brief headings to leave with you tonight as we think upon this subject. First of all, let's think of the um, the the high Scripture has a pure inception, and Scripture has a pure inception because it begins with God. Scripture did not merely begin with Moses when God uh, called him to write uh, down uh, the Word of God. God's Word began before it was ever written down. We see God's Word communicated to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And we know that Scripture uh, begins with God From Scripture itself, Isaiah 55, verse 11, the Lord says, So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. God takes ownership of this word. He is the divine author. He didn't leave it to Moses to put together his thoughts. He didn't delegate the task to holy angels and say, communicate a message to those fallen sons of Adam. No, it begins with God himself. Psalm 68, verse 11 tells us, The Lord gave the word. So this is a holy book that is given to us by a holy God. And because it comes from a holy God, it is perfect. We use the term inerrant. It means free from error. Psalm 18, verse 30. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. That word tried, it means tested and proved to be true. And the Word of God has been proved to be true time and time again. Men like to think that they find mistakes and contradictions in the Bible. They haven't. They've been disproven uh, time and time again as their false claims. So this is a perfect book. It is free from error. But it is also a living book in the way that no other word or no other book in the world uh, is living. We can look at cookbooks, we can uh, look at medical journals, and very quickly they can become out of date. Even dictionaries can become outdated and have to be updated. But the Word of God is as relevant and alive today as it was in the day that God gave it. It's the living book. The Lord Jesus, in Rebuking the Devil, in Matthew chapter 4, during his temptation, he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but... He shall live by every word that proceedeth from the mouth of God. So this is the book we are to live by. God has given this to be a, a living word, not just for us in our generation, but for every generation. There are some books that quickly become outdated. I was in a second-hand bookshop during the summer, and I saw a user's guide for Windows 2000. Uh, now, that uh, user's guide for Windows 2000 is only about 25 years or so since it, since it was printed. But I thought in, in the last 25 years, that book has quickly become um, irrelevant. I hope I don't offend anybody here tonight. Uh, but, but I looked at the book and I thought, who's going to need a user's guide for Windows 2000? It has to be one of the most irrelevant books in this bookshop. But then, whenever we think of the Bible, it has always been relevant. It was relevant to Moses in the day that he penned it. It has been relevant in every single age and generation, right up to us today. We can still benefit from the living word that God communicated to Moses uh, to us today, because it's fresh, it's living. It's alive, and it's holy. Our verse goes on to say, "A silver tried in the furnace of earth, purified seven times." David here is using an illustration. And the illustration is that of the silversmith. He heated up the furnace, he put the silver in, and it melted, the dross, the impurities, the alloy metals came away, he brought it out of the furnace, it cooled down, he repeated the process seven times until that silver is as pure as possibly could be. Well, that's what David David says the word of God is like. It's as pure as any book could possibly be because it's not the words of men the Word of God, and it begins with God. So, Scripture has a pure inception. Secondly tonight, Scripture has a pure inspiration. We know that it begins with God, but how did it come to be written down on the pages before us? Well, Paul, writing to Timothy, said all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That is literally breathed out from the mouth of God himself. And then Peter teaches us in 2 Peter 1.21 that holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the Lord gave the word and God the Holy Spirit, the blessed third person of the Trinity, moved the human author to write it down perfectly. Not just the thought, not just the outline, but every single word. So in the Old Testament Hebrew, and the New Testament Greek, we have the Word of God perfectly revealed to us. And it's a full inspiration. We refer to the term plenary inspiration. It's complete. Nothing has been left out. But sadly, the doctrine of inspiration has been under great attack. I suppose it's been under attack since the garden. But in recent times, the the inspiration of this book has come under severe attack. At the time of the Protestant Reformation, it was generally accepted and received that the Old Testament text that God has preserved was the Hebrew Masoretic text, and the New Testament text was the Greek Textus Receptus. But in 1881, two men by the name of Westcott and Hort decided to reject not only the authorized version, but the Greek Textus Receptus New Testament that it came from. And they started their own Greek New Testament text called the New Testament in the original Greek. The end result was that you had the Textus Receptus on one hand, the the critical text of Westcott and Hort and their successors on the other. And the differences are around 6,000 differences in the New Testament. So they cannot both be the Word of God. There are too many uh, differences between them. For example, the critical text of Westcott and Hort it leaves out the last 12 verses of Mark's gospel. It has Mark finishing with, then were the women afraid, no resurrection appearance of Christ. It leaves out John chapter eight, the story of the woman taken in adultery. That's missing. It leaves out Acts eight thirty seven, 37, the profession of faith of the Ethiopian eunuch. It leaves out the conclusion of the Lord's prayer, for thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. And there's many parts of verses are missing. That are very serious. Matthew 5.44, the authorised version reads, But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully uh, use you and persecute you. The NIV, which comes from the modern critical text, reads like this, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for them who persecute you. Now, you immediately know that that's a lot shorter. It leaves out three pieces of Christian teaching. Bless them that curse you is missing. Do good to them that hate you is missing. Pray for them which despitefully use you is missing. We could go on. There's 6,000 differences. We can't list them all here tonight. But dear friends, this is very serious. The inspiration of the Word of God is under attack. We now have professing evangelical preachers who stand in pulpits and in evangelical churches and they will stand up and make a statement like this they'll say there's not seven saints of the cross there's only six and then they will say look 23 34 father forgive them for they know not what they do should not be in our bible that it should be taken out and this is a push that is going on not amongst the liberals but amongst the evangelicals, or professing evangelicals, within Christendom today. And we have to take our stand against this and stand for the Word of God. So, the question must be asked, and indeed, friends, we must have an answer. What is the inspired Word? If we hold the New Testament textus receptus in one hand and the modern critical text in the other with 6,000 differences, which is the Word of God? They can't both be. The Texas Receptus can be traced back not just to the Protestant Reformation, but all the way back to the first century. The modern critical text, well, it's still a work in progress. They haven't finished it. They might find more manuscripts tomorrow that necessitate changing the Bible again, maybe adding more verses in, maybe taking more verses out. They don't know because they admit themselves they are still trying to finish the jigsaw puzzle that is Scripture. Which leads us to a question, dear friends. Has God left his word in an unfinished state for us today? Well, the answer is no. This brings me to my third point. Scripture has a pure preservation. A pure preservation. Because nowhere in the Bible do we ever read that God makes a statement like this. That I will hide my word from you for 2,000 years that I will scatter my word in caves and libraries and monasteries through the world. And you will be reliant upon archaeologists and historians uh, to try to ascertain what my scripture is. I'm going to uh, make this a game of hide and seek with my word, and you're going to have to try your best to find it. Never are we told that God would do that in his word. In fact, we're told the complete opposite. God promises to preserve his word. Psalm 119, verse 89, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Now, it doesn't just mean it's settled in heaven, but not settled in earth. No, the reference to heaven symbolizes a state of permanence. Nobody, doubt that, nobody doubts that heaven is a permanent state. And so, as heaven is permanent, God's word is settled in a state of permanence. 1 Peter 1:25. The apostle says, the word of the Lord endureth forever. That is, it continues to endure in every single age it's ever present. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. It will stand strong as that beacon of light, shining the, the rays of the gospel over every age and generation. Men can come and receive it and believe it with great gladness. And the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, speaking to his disciples, speaking to that that small group of believers, he comforted them with the words, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. It will always be there. In every age and generation, you will have the full Uh, complete canon of Scripture that you can trust, that you can believe, that you can rely upon, that you can commit your soul and your eternal salvation to. Never does the Lord Jesus say, it'll be lost, it'll be edited, it'll be corrupted. No, it will always be there. And that is what our Protestant forefathers confessed in the Protestant Reformation. We can look at the great confessions of faith, the Westminster Confession, the Savoy Declaration, the Second London Baptist. They all said the same thing, that God, by his singular care and providence, has kept his word pure in all ages. You'll find that in chapter 1, section 8 of the Westminster Confession. Well, how has he done that? Well, God has preserved his word in the church. Acts 7, verse 38, The apostles spoke of our fathers who received the lively articles to give to us. That's the Old Testament in 1 Timothy 3.15. Paul speaks of the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Not that the church has permission to uh, invent truth for itself. No, they received the truth in the Word of God, and that is what truth is based and derived from. C.H. Spurgeon says the Bible has passed through the furnace of persecution, literary criticism, philosophic doubt, and scientific discovery, and has lost nothing, because God's Word shall forever endure. Fourthly and finally tonight, Scripture is a pure communication. And Scripture is a pure communication because it is how God has chosen to reveal Himself to us. Scripture is God's special revelation. What would you know about Jesus Christ if we didn't have the Bible? You wouldn't know anything. You wouldn't know a single thing. Your minister would come and preach, but if he didn't have the Bible, he wouldn't be able to preach Jesus Christ. In fact, if we didn't have the Bible at all, there would be no message from God for us. We would still be in darkness, we would still be in sin we would still be walking that broad road to destruction. Now, the world today, they say, if your God is real, why doesn't he show himself in some way? We hold up our Bible and we say, God does show himself. He reveals himself through the pages of scripture. The world says, how do you, Your God is a cruel God. He shows no love or kindness at all. We can hold up the Bible and we can say this book, this communication to us is an evident token that God does love and he does care. He loved us so much that he gave us the Bible. He didn't have to, but he chose to because this book reveals his son. It's the only place where Christ is revealed in the pages of Holy Scripture The Lord Jesus said to the Jews in John 5, 39, Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they that testify of me. This whole book is about him. And that's what makes the Bible so special to the believer. Because it's in this book we see Christ. We find him on every page. Martin Luther said he looked for Christ in every single word. The Scripture communicates Christ to us, and it communicates the gospel message to us, the pure, simple message of salvation for sinful men and women. So if God has attached such significance and importance to this book, then, dear friend, we should treasure it. But God has also ordained the using of this book, the preaching of this word, to save sinners the communication of this word to reach the lost and the perishing. So if God uses his word to call sinners unto himself, then we should say like Paul, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. And we should have a heart to share the word of God with the lost, perishing souls in our family, in our work, and in our community so that they too can receive the goodness of God's Word, the blessedness of the Gospel, and the Christ that is communicated through it. Well, may the Lord bless these thoughts to us here tonight. I'd like to move on and share with you now an update on the continued work of the TBS, and this is what we're going to look at tonight. Uh, Some updates on translations, some launch reports, distribution reports and some brief news and prayer requests as well. First of all, the TBS began way back in 1831. In the year 1835, a gift was given to the society, a gift of 50 pounds, a lot of money today, but it was an awful lot of money back then. In fact, uh, the equivalent amount today would be about 5,200 pounds. And the people who give this generous gift, they had a condition that it would be used for us to produce our first foreign translation. Prior to this, we had just been printing uh, Bibles in the local dialects in the English, the Welsh and the Scots Gaelic. So after much prayerful consideration, they decided to produce the Bible in Portuguese. This was printed in 1844 and um, in 1994 we did a revision of that translation which was awarded book of the year uh, by the brazilian christian booksellers association and it's been extremely popular such was the demand for scripture particularly in south america in the portuguese language that 55 years ago we opened a branch in brazil now over the last 55 years that branch has distributed over 10 million Bibles, and in partnership with other organizations such as the Gideons, they have distributed over 198 million New Testaments, and they have developed a Bible app that has been downloaded over 14 million times. So that very generous gift of 50 pounds uh, back in uh, 1835, the Lord has multiplied to reach over 220 million (coughs) Portuguese-speaking souls in Latin America. And we give thanks to God for how he has taken that gift and multiplied it many times over to reach hundreds of millions of souls. I often get asked, why do we do new translations? Especially in languages where they already have a Bible and they already have a translation. Well, a number of reasons. First of all, Not all translations are from the Hebrew Masoretic and the Greek Texas Receptus. Many modern translations are from the critical text, so they're missing those verses and parts of verses, and some of them have quite deliberate theology. Secondly, some translators have a deliberate bias whenever they are translating the Bible. You only have to pick up the Jehovah's Witness New World translation to see uh, how they have butchered uh, texts that relate to the Trinity. And thirdly, despite the best intentions of some translators, they maybe haven't always grasped the language. And there can be some quite simple uh, but serious mistakes. Uh, Even John Wycliffe, who produced the first translation into the English language, he translated from the Latin Vulgate. He translated the... uh, uh, Well, the problem lay with Jerome's Latin Vulgate. Jerome had the word repentance as due penance. So John Wycliffe, he translated due penance rather than the word repentance. So even the best of men uh, can make mistakes. But are some examples of why there's a need for revisions in some other languages. In Psalm 40 verse seven, in the authorized version, it reads, lo, in the volume of the book, it is written off me. And every English translation that I have looked at has the translation off me. But the French Louis Sagan Bible, which is one of the most popular in, in the French language, has, uh, with the scroll of the book, written for me. Now, there's a, this is, of course, a Messianic Psalm, and there's a big difference between a, a book being written off somebody or for somebody. Well, of course, the Bible was written off Christ, but Louis II apparently didn't like the Messianic Psalms, so deliberately misinterpreted to obscure this Messianic prophecy. The Chinese Union version is used by over 99% of Chinese Christians. Sadly, it's not from the received text. It's actually from an English translation, the revised version. And in Genesis 3, verse 4, it has a very simple and basic mistake. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, is the reading of the authorized version. The Chinese Union version has, The snake said to the woman, You may die or you may not die. Well, there's a bit of ambiguity there, a bit of uncertainty. Again, it's a very poor translation of that verse that should have been picked up and should have been corrected. The Turkish translation of 2008, Matthew five forty eight, it should read, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. The Turkish do have a word for perfect, but they have deliberately chosen a weaker word, the word competent. And dear friends, I put it to you that it's blasphemous uh, to say that God is merely competent. Uh, he is, of course, Perfect. So, for those reasons and many more, uh, there's a need uh, for us to produce reliable, accurate copies of God's Word. We don't believe that people should settle for an inferior, a poor copy of God's Word. Uh, Just like you and me, we would want the best, the most reliable copy, and we believe that's what other people should have in their language as well. At the end of last year, the population of the world reached over 8 billion people. Now, remarkably, from these 8 billion people, 66% Sixty-six percent of them speak one of 10 languages. So two out of every three people in the world are able to speak one of the 10 most spoken languages in the world. And we're glad to say that the TBS have projects either completed or ongoing in eight of these 10 most spoken languages, giving us the potential audience of just under five billion people. Now some of them are full Bibles, some of them are projects that are yet. Uh, to be finished but there's two languages that we don't have projects ongoing in yet and the truth is if there if there were already faithful copies of the word of God in Bengali and Urdu then we wouldn't uh, produce translations we believe there should only ever be one translation in any language at any given time and it should be the best translation the most faithful the most accurate from the biblical texts. But the Bengali for Bangladesh and the Urdu for Pakistan do not have reliable Bible translations. So we would ask you to pray that God would raise up translators and bring them to us. I often get asked, how do we find our translators? Well, the, the answer is we don't. We pray that God would raise up translators and bring them to us. If we were to try to find translators, it would be like looking for a needle in a haystack. So please join us in praying. Uh, That very soon, these two languages uh, combined, they have over half a billion speakers, and they need a reliable copy of God's Word. The Bible Society of India, which does a lot of translation work over in the East, uh, apparently they don't translate from the original languages. They translate from an English version, and it's not even a good one. They translate from the English Good News Bible, which is one of the most liberal of all the English translations. So we start with the Gospel of John, we translate it, we move on to the New Testament, once it is translated and printed, then we print the uh, New Testament while they work on the Old Testament. So currently we have um, 21 Bibles, 18 New Testaments and 21 Gospels in print, but behind the scenes we have 52 projects that are currently ongoing. And we have to give thanks to God because in the last 18 months or so, he has raised up uh, a tremendous amount of translators who who are giving themselves to the vital work of Bible translation so that their fellow countrymen uh, can have the word of God in their own language. Uh, We have 15 potential projects we are examining the viability of. Uh, We have another 12 we are consulting on, and there are four that are currently at a stalled stage. This can happen through sickness and illness. We just heard today that one project might have to uh, be um, suspended temporarily while one of the lead translators is going through cancer treatment, so they would value your prayers for that. Uh, But this map gives you a bit of an indication as to the wide scale of the work. We have printed this map out. Many people have asked for it. And one of the leaflets on the stand, you'll, um, you'll see it has this map on the inside. If you'd like to take it, put it inside your Bible and pray over these languages. Uh, I know the translators would, uh, would, would greatly value your prayers. Moving on to mention the translation launches. And first of all, the Simte Bible. The Simte people are part of the hill tribes who live in the Manipur region of northeast India. The gospel first came to the Manipur region around the start of the 20th century through British missionaries. William Pedigree was one of the first missionaries to work amongst the hill tribes of the former Manipur kingdom, and he labored there for around 40 years, and many churches were established among many of the different tribes. The Simte people first received the printed New Testament in 1975 from the TBS. Do you know how many books they had in their own language prior to 1975? The answer is none. Our New Testament was the first book ever printed in the Simte language. We completed the whole Bible, and it was finished and printed in 1992. In 2015, a report highlighted the importance of our Bible in shaping the Simte language. It said, we the Simte, are just at the stage of developing our literature, dialect, and grammar. As such, the Holy Bible has become more or less our dictionary and grammar book. Well, improvements were needed upon our first edition, so our revision project was undertaken. That was completed in 2021, and in February last year, we shipped over 6,500 Bibles to the Manipur region, For the Simte people. This is a video showing the Bible arriving with the Simte people for the first time since 1992. (laughs) the boxes of bible off the lorry with each man uh, praising god for the arrival of uh, holy scripture in their own language whenever we launch a gospel a new testament or a bible we have thanksgiving services and these were held in several uh, churches of the simte people and you'll notice that some of these young people weren't even born the last time the bible was printed for them back in 1992 they formed lines the length of the church and down into the streets in some uh, instances to get their hands on copies of God's Word. The Simte people number in their tens of thousands, about 70,000 Simte people. But, so there was enough uh, for one for each Christian home, but they also wanted to reach the unconverted. So they went to the lost and offered them copies of God's Word so that they could uh, learn about the, the wonderful Savior of sinners. They wrote to us at the end of last year expressing their appreciation. One pastor mentioned how uh, inconvenient preaching had been without a copy of the Bible in his language. The copy that he had had worn out many years ago he was having to preach from memory or translate from another language. Another mentioned how many of the youths and the Sunday school students have a Bible for the very first time. If your house is anything like my house, you probably have shelves full of Bibles. But uh, that isn't the case amongst the Simte people. Another expressed gratitude how having a Bible after a gap of 25 years or so means quite a lot to them. One pastor mentioned that it's a pleasure to know that many of our church members have read the Simte Bible cover to cover. In that nine month period from the Bible was launched to we received that email, some had even read through the Bible twice. One of the men who received a copy the day it was launched was a student and he started reading the Bible the day he got it and seven days later had the whole Bible finished. Such a hunger for the Word of God. And this was a common theme. Our new Bible has blessed me tremendously. Please pray for the Simte people. In fact, all the the tribes of the Manipur region. There's been great civil unrest there um, from uh, the earlier part of this year. Uh, There's They've been attacked by some of the Hindus, and many have had their churches burnt down, their homes have been attacked, many have been displaced, some have been injured, and some have even been killed. So please pray for peace uh, in that region, and that even these persecutors uh, would be converted and come to faith in Christ. Well, the next one to mention is the Amharic New Testament. Amharic is a language spoken in Ethiopia. They also speak it in Eritrea, the little country just to the north of Ethiopia there. And there's also speakers in South Africa, about half a million, some in Israel, Egypt, the UK, the USA, France and Sweden as well. But Ethiopia is the main language. It has a population of over 118 million people. There are 88 languages spoken in Ethiopia, but Amharic is the main language. It has around 57 million speakers. Now, They do have the Bible in Amharic, but they're not very good, and they're not very reliable. Uh, Many of them are from the modern critical text, but even some of the older ones that are from the Texas Receptus are poorly translated. So prior to the launch of our New Testament last year in December, our lead translator asked for a meeting of the leading evangelicals, and remarkably about 70 of them came out. And he told them about all the mistakes, all the errors, all the problems in the Amharic translations and why we produced our New Testament. And he was expecting a bit of a backlash, but there wasn't one. In fact, there was a silence. In the end, one of the men stood up and he said, we cannot disagree with anything you've said about the current Amharic Bibles. And if your translation is as good as you tell us, you will have our full support. So uh, we went from having one or two launch services in ethiopia last december to having five i was up in the isle of lewis last november and my boss contacted me and he says we've got a bit of a problem he says there's such a demand for meetings in ethiopia he says i i'm going to the first one but i can't go to some of the others we need somebody to go to ethiopia for these launches would you be free to go so once i phoned home and checked with the real boss that i was allowed to go to Uh, Ethiopia last December and I agreed to go. So my boss, he went for the first meeting and there were over 2,000 people in attendance there. And they didn't come because the TBS are famous. We've never been in Ethiopia before. They came because news had spread about the reliability, the accuracy of our New Testament. I was there for the launch of the uh, um, New Testament in Debre Berhan which is about three and a half hours north of Addis Ababa. And there were over 500 people who came out to that meeting. And they didn't come to hear me. They came because they had heard of the uh, New Testament. One man told me he traveled over three hours on a bus just to get to the meeting. And the buses in Ethiopia aren't as comfortable uh, as the the right buses here um, in in Belfast. This is our lead translator, Haile Emery, addressing the meeting and everybody who attended one of our lunch services left with a free copy of the Amharic New Testament. This is 2nd Timothy chapter 3 being read. Well I spent over seven hours in the car with uh, Halei Amaru travelling there and back And we never went more than 15 minutes without his phone ringing. Are you the man who has these New Testaments? We've heard about your meetings. Can you come and do a meeting in our church? Can you do a meeting in our area? Can we please receive some copies of your New Testament for our church? One man phoned up and he said he was part of a denomination. They had about 45 churches, about the size of our own denomination here in Ulster. And he says, if you'll come and do a meeting for us, there'll be several hundred ministers and elders who want to hear about your New Testament. Normally, we have to write out and advertise that we are launching a gospel, a New Testament, a Bible. In Ethiopia, it's working the other way around. We had to have four more services in Ethiopia in the springtime, and there were thousands of people attended these meetings. At one of the meetings, we had only taken um, a thousand New Testaments Because we didn't think there'd be any more than that would come and over 1250 people came to that meeting sadly some left without a copy of the new testament but such is the interest and the hunger for the word of god there we also had a meeting in south africa that was extremely well attended and they want more meetings amongst the amharic speakers in south africa one of the other reasons i was there was to look at a distribution center in order to circulate printed material in Ethiopia you have to be registered there otherwise you can get in trouble you could even be banned the Ethiopians are not looking at us to do everything for them in fact they're very zealous and they're very uh, willing uh, to to help wherever they can and this is a, a token an evidence of that a christian uh, owns this uh, office complex and he is very generously provided us with a state-of-the-art office um, that we can use as a distribution center in Ethiopia uh, for a couple of years, rent-free. So we give thanks to God for that. So we started giving out the New Testaments last December. 10,000 arrived in Ethiopia. Within a couple of weeks, they were all gone. Since last December, we have uh, sent over 85,000 New Testaments to Ethiopia, and they're flying out. There's such a hunger and demand for the Word of God there. I have to go back to Ethiopia in a couple of weeks' time. They're having more meetings uh, this December. Um, I I think of about four or five uh, meetings maybe planned uh, in the time that I'm going to be there. The people are lovely. Uh, They're so kind, so hospitable. There's awful poverty in Ethiopia. Um, Everywhere in the cities you turn, you see you're reminded of the awful poverty. But the greatest poverty is a spiritual poverty. 40% are Muslim, another 40% are Ethiopian Orthodox, and they have no interest in the Bible. But there is a small remnant who love the Lord and who want to make Christ known in that land. So please do pray for them that the Lord's blessing would be upon the circulation of the Word and the preaching of the Word, and that God would uh, um, mightily bless in Ethiopia. The Bible does speak of Ethiopia stretching forth her hand Ethiopia was one of the first countries to declare itself Christian back in the fourth century but maybe this is Ethiopia stretching forth her hand uh, now. Just very quickly in closing just to mention Bible distribution. We distribute scripture in two ways. We sell to those who can afford to pay for it. Over the last two years we've sold over four million items and then proceeds from our sales go into our grant fund. That enables us to give away scripture to those who can't afford it and over the last two years we've given away over three million items last year alone our scripture went out in over 40 languages to 112 countries and it's for reasons like this this is a pastor's Bible from Malawi it runs from Leviticus to Thessalonians because he's worn through the pages and he can't just pop down to the evangelical bookshop or or order a new one on Amazon doesn't quite work like that In Malawi, Uh, just some pictures of where the Word of God has gone in Nepal and in Kenya. And there's been a tremendous interest in the Word of God in South America. We have recently launched our Spanish Bible. We printed thirty thousand copies for South America. We've been holding several uh, launch services and conferences down there, and they've been extremely well attended. Uh, It's uh, so encouraging to see what the Lord is doing in South America. And calendars have been a big source of um, outreach and evangelism. And they, many people have wrote to us down through the years testifying how the Lord has used a calendar in their conversion. Just some brief updates. If you enjoy watching missionary documentaries, there's one of Bible distribution in Bolivia. You'll find it on our YouTube channel. It's called Manu ribi we have several booklets Uh, all the booklets are free of charge there's some new ones that have come out please take them and uh, share them with those who would be of interest we printed the coronation bible for the coronation of king charles i got an email today to say that the warehouse is now sold out and so let you in on a secret the only remaining copies are the copies that um, i have if you would like any copies uh, they're uh, for sale on the book table if you'd like to get our magazine, there's some free copies. We can post it out to you free of charge, fill out one of the postcards. We do work with local churches to help them spread the word. This is a personalized Gospel of John that our congregation in Lisburn produced and started circulating earlier this year. Uh, part of my job is to visit schools as well uh, with copies of Scripture. So far this year, I've been able to hand out over 2,300 Bibles uh, to the boys and girls in primary schools. Uh, After one of the um, assemblies, a Christian teacher uh, told me that the children ran out waving their Bibles to their mummy and daddy, many of them saying, I got my first Bible. Uh, So there's still a need to reach out to the boys and girls with the Word of God. There's a big overlap between the work of the TBS and the the mission board. These are countries where the uh, Free Presbyterian Church has missionary interests, but also where the TBS have translation projects. The Kikamba and the Swahili, we hope to have the Gospels of John uh, printed in the coming months in those languages. The TBS also sent grants to some of the mission stations and our school in Uganda benefited from over 800 Bibles and 1200 New Testaments. And all the children and all the staff received a, a free copy of the Bible. And Mrs. Crane, the wife of the Reverend Jonathan Crane, she joined the ladies outreach team As they went to circulate the Word of God, they went into prisons and uh, reached out to prisoners uh, there. We also sent a grant to Kenya in recent times of over 400 Bibles and 300 New Testaments. And uh, another grant has gone out uh, to the Reverend Patterson in recent months, also. As well as the printed page, we're getting scripture online for the many people who would be persecuted if they were fine to have a copy of the Bible or the New Testament, but they can go on and read the Word of God on our website. Some of our partners are producing them in audio, and we're also working on a unique translation, a British Sign Language translation, where videos will be uploaded to our website of the Word of God being communicated by sign language. And dear friends, that's only a fraction of the work that the TBS are engaged in. I did joke with your minister that I could go on to after midnight with uh, keeping you up to date, um, but I'll have to leave it there for tonight. But can I thank you for your continued interest and thank you for your prayerful support. We are indebted to you for taking us upon your heart. And please do avail of the free literature and if there's any items on the book table, I'll be glad to help you with that. So thank you very much, Mr. Brown.